I'm Jacob Kurtzer. And I'm Kirsten Gelsdorf. And this is Beyond Aid, a podcast that takes you beyond the challenging headlines of humanitarian crises. And dives deeper into the people, ideas, and issues that may help us find ways to connect to humanitarian action. In today's episode, I speak with Jessica Alexander, policy editor at The New Humanitarian. She shares with us what we can learn from her current work looking back over the last 25 years of humanitarian policy. Jessica, it's so exciting to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys. So I've known you for a long time and you've worked in many different roles. So tell our audience a little bit about what it's like to be an editor at The New Humanitarian. What are you working on these days? I was hired actually right at the start of COVID-19, and it was actually the 25-year anniversary of The New Humanitarian. And what was supposed to be a series that was going to kind of look back at the last quarter century of humanitarian assistance and see how whether aid had delivered on its promises became this really new and fascinating time to rethink this sector because of the time in the world it was because COVID-19 was just starting. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement happened right after that. At the time, it, it really forced this global reckoning with longstanding power imbalances and social injustice. And for the aid sector as well, you know, it too is reckoned with how these questions presented within itself and the role that the aid sector has in, in challenging it in society. So I started at a time when these questions were really front and center in people's minds, not only globally, but also within the aid sector. And two years later, I think we're really still asking some of those tough questions. What are some of those tough questions? The questions that I'm working on a lot now are how has or how can the aid sector change and improve? And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of writing and analysis along with others. You know, many have had these sort of deep dives into how the sector has transformed over the last 25 years and changed. But one of the big questions is, you know, it changes, but does it improve? And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest questions that plagues the aid sector time and time again. You know, crises are these moments of change. I mm -hmm. referenced COVID-19, but even the Ukraine crisis right now is challenging the aid sector and it's implementing models and a lot of the underlying assumptions about humanitarianism. And so these questions about the role and value of the international system continue to come up with each new crisis. And they're coming up more frequently as well as climate change is, you know, affecting more and more places more frequently, more intensely. And this sort of constant existential crisis that it seems like the humanitarian sector constantly has every time it's confronted with, you know, a, a major new new emergency. So that's kind of some of the big questions that I look at as a, a policy editor. But some of the themes that, you know, we often talk about in the policy issues or questions that we look at are around, you know, how to make sure that aid is more equitable in terms of how it you know, shares power with not only affected people, but local populations who are responding themselves. So, you know, there are a lot of very complex questions that we look at and that humanitarians are grappling with on a regular basis and trying to adapt their models to suit, you know, the times. 
What I have found over the last couple decades is that the majority of conferences that I sit in or reports that I read are pointing out where the aid system is failing, right? You even said, interestingly, before the system changes, but is it improving? These are these critical, critical questions. But what I'm also curious about is with what lens we're looking for these systems and that in some ways, sometimes I think it's easier to almost define the critiques or where things aren't working than to take on, I don't know if you've ever heard the term like positive deviance, like trying to find out what is working and why and how we capitalize on that. On the one hand, I think, you know, the role is to hold the aid sector accountable. You know, there are billions of dollars that are being spent and it's the responsibility of the media to explain to the general public what's happening with that and whether it's being used responsibly or not. The aid sector is very, they love to self-bash, right? Like it's very easy to be critical about, you know, the the sector because there are a lot of flaws and there are a lot of problems, but we're working in extremely complex situations and, you know, there's never going to be a neat and tidy humanitarian response that, you know, is, is perfect. So of course we're going to pick at the flaws, but I think that that's important. And that says a lot about our sector itself, that we are very self-critical. Everyone, you know, that I've worked with is extremely committed to humanitarianism and to the reason why we joined this sector in the first place. And I think, you know, it's, it's more the structures and the institutions that sometimes hold back what I think individuals, you know, want to push. You know, I just actually did an analysis of looking at 25 years of evaluations, right? And I've done a number of evaluations myself. And often I'll sit down to write up my report and I'll sit there and I'll say, oh my gosh, I'm going to be like accused of plagiarism because like this evaluation from two years ago says the exact (laughs) same thing, right? And you see that again and again. And I actually, you know, had the opportunity to really delve into these evaluations and look at the recommendations. And you see recommendations from 25 years ago, almost verbatim sometimes, you know, happening today. And, you know, you, you scratch your head thinking, my gosh, we, we are an industry that's committed to learning, right? We commission all of these evaluations. We spend a lot of money on them. But what is holding back, you know, going from a recommendation from 1995 showing up in, a, in an evaluation in 2021 again? You know, what I found was there was movement. And to conclude that the aid sector hasn't improved, hasn't changed, hasn't developed. I mean, it looks incredibly different today than it did 25 years ago, right? It's more professional. I mean, these aren't new things. There's They've been written about, you know, and talked about a lot. But those things matter, you know, and I think... Everyone kind of poo-poos the technical tweaks that are made and the improvements to WASH or the innovations in nutrition or changes in the use of cash as a modality of giving aid. Do you remember, Jessica, you guest lectured for in a class for me, I want to say it was 2012, mm-hmm. and a student actually raised their hand in the class. You had just gotten back from Haiti. So yeah, so maybe it was 2012, 2011, maybe even, and you were showing these slides. You had been working for a large international NGO, and you were yeah. showing slides of some of the things that you had distributed or other organizations had distributed and how they were kind of like tents that were already falling apart and flooded and all of these things. And I remember a student raising their hand and asking you, like, well, if this is what happens, is this unique to Haiti? And you were like, no. And then the student was said, well, 
why aren't there other ways of providing assistance? Like, and then you had said, yeah, there are, you know, we could be doing more cash transfers, but we're not. And I remember that really sparked something in me thinking too about, wait, why aren't we doing more cash? Like what's possible? And oh, sorry, this was 20, this was at the end of 2010, because then in 2011, there was the Somalia famine. And then, so that's when I started to look at cash transfers and the use of that and, and work with some incredible people like Dagan Ali, who was really at the forefront of pushing for cash. But, you know, so if I, so if I was going to flip it and, you know, I would say, wow, you know, in 12 years, right. We've also, there has been a major modality shift. We're now in the Ukraine response, you know, a large uh, 25%, if not more of the response from the UN side is being asked for in cash assistance. Yeah. Cash is a great example because one, it has efficiencies for everybody, right? The the donors love it because it's, you know, more efficient and there's cost savings with using cash. What I'm really curious about as someone who's like working in journalism now, how often when you're deciding what to write about or what stories to write about, what is your mind frame? Is it kind of where can I provide accountability? Where can I tell an interesting story? The New Humanitarian's current strategy is about decolonizing its journalism. And part of that is telling stories from the perspective of people who are impacted by crises, right? And so elevating those voices so that they are the storytellers about what's happening in their own contexts instead of, you know, external people or expats telling those stories. And I think that that's a really important shift. And in terms of positive stories, I think we or I really try to highlight where there are innovations. We're going to be launching a new series highlighting people who have started humanitarian initiatives that don't fall within the formal humanitarian box, but are doing really amazing things. And that's one way to tell a positive story because those people don't often get attention. But these kind of initiatives are happening all of the time. We are reporting on, you know, horrors within the world, but there are hopeful messages that can come out of that. And crises aren't just about, you know, people who are suffering. There's amazing ingenuity, resilience, right? Those kind of full picture of a situation is one that I think we're, we're more intentional about presenting. Where do you feel the state of journalism on humanitarian aid is going with also, you know, recognizing that there's, you know, there's so much mainstream media coverage, let's, you know, like say CNN, NPR, as well as social media engagement, as well as organ outlets like yours or DevX that focus on these issues specifically. Right. Like, do you see the, the trajectory as a positive one of more engagement or... I can speak to the new humanitarian where I think it is a positive trajectory for sure, but it's a slow one. And I think these changes, at least also not just for journalism, for the, for the aid sector, you know, they happen slowly and they're sort of like generational shifts. And, you know, I was speaking to a colleague the other day who's, you know, is very positive about sort of the, the changes on the horizon that, you know, she said, you know, it may not happen even within my career, but sort of we're on this trajectory. And, you know, one of our old colleagues, you know, used to say, you know, it's about like twisting the, the lid of a jar. Everyone kind of gives a little twist and then suddenly it budges and it comes off. Right. And, you know, we're, we're still sort of twisting that jar. And I think, it's those kinds of efforts that are ultimately going to aggregate 
and lead to, you know, the, the kind of changes that I think many people are, are calling for. Jessica also wrote an incredible book called Chasing Chaos, which many of my students really relate to. And I know that it's been some time, and I'm sure if you were going to write it again now, you would write it with a different lens. But on your website, you, it's described as your movement from being this wide-eyed newcomer in the humanitarian field to then a hardened cynic, and finally to hopeful and critical realist. Yes, I definitely still feel hopeful. I feel like I am a realist, though, about, you know, how change happens in the sector and a realist about what we can expect from the humanitarian system. So I, I think that that, yeah, still does hold and describe me. Sometimes I feel myself being more frustrated today than perhaps I was 10 years ago or more when the book came out, just because I've been at it longer. And, you know, you, you, again, like you said in the beginning of our discussion, you know, you go to the same conferences and we're still talking about the same things. And I guess with age, you get, you know, you become more, more, I guess, cynical, but I try to stay hopeful and I try to stay realistic while still recognizing that I get frustrated and I'm working on policy issues which are, you know, the bureaucratic guts of the humanitarian system. And, you know, I think I would feel different if I was working in, you know, a, a country that was in crisis right now or a country that was preparing for potential crises. Because I think you feel much, much closer, obviously, to affected people. You feel much more enmeshed in the actual work and you feel it's more rewarding that it's not just all bleak and that there are pockets of good work. There are pockets of, you know, where a nutrition program is started in a small community and you go in and all the children have, you know, know, acute malnutrition and you leave and those children are thriving, you know, and that's not across the board, but there are, you know, many of those kinds of stories. Thank you so much today for speaking with us, Jessica. Really excited to keep following your work with The New Humanitarian and all of your other endeavors. Thanks so much for having me. It was great speaking with you. Next time on the podcast, we will continue to go beyond news and speak with Brandon Harvey from Good, Good, Good. Thank you for listening to Beyond Aid. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. To make sure you don't miss our next episode, subscribe to Beyond Aid on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.